This is AgriPulse Daybreak West for Monday, September 30th. Good morning. I'm Jeff Daly. Here's today's headlines. Newsom vetoes SB1. Fish expert urges innovation and flexibility. And sixth inning of USMCA negotiations. In Breaking the Binaries, Newsom vetoes SB1. Tucked deep into a legislative update on Friday evening was Governor Newsom's veto of Senate Bill 1. In an attached message, Newsom lauded California's environmental efforts, but simply said he disagreed about the efficacy and necessity of SB1. Senator Tony Atkins tweeted in response that she was disappointed with the decision, but grateful for her colleagues who supported the bill. Ag Council President Emily Rooney replied to Atkins, while we disagree on SB1, we appreciate your action to support all Californians and your open-mindedness on ag issues. Senator Atkins, thank you for your stellar leadership. California Representative Josh Harder applauded Newsom's commitment to listening to the needs of Central Valley water users in a statement on Saturday. But he said it's too bad the state Senate didn't make up the amendments to SB1 that we recommended a couple of weeks back. California missed an opportunity to strengthen an otherwise important bill. Defenders of Wildlife Director Kim Delfino had a sharper critique in an op-ed for CalMatters yesterday. Delfino compared Newsom's decision to bury an anti-environmental action in a Friday evening to what she sees as a common practice with the Trump administration. She owed the veto a massive and furious lobbying effort against SB1 by agriculture water districts and wealthy farming interests. Delfino framed her opinion around the phrase from Newsom's State of the State address in February where he said, we have to get past the old binaries from the water wars. Natural Resources Secretary Wade Crowfoot has often borrowed that phrase as well in April. He said it cannot be a farmer versus environmentalist, north versus south, urban versus rural. He mentioned the binaries again two weeks ago after a two-hour meeting over the voluntary agreements. California's top fish scientists called for flexibility and innovation for water flows. Rather than a one-size-fits-all approach, UC Davis professor emeritus Peter Moyle is urging flexibility when modeling flows for sensitive fish habitats, but Moyle does not insert himself into the SB1 debate over biological opinions and voluntary agreements for the Central Valley Project. His argument is similar to those of water agencies and the ag industry, which have sought a more flexible approach in allocating water to fish and farms. Newsom now falls into that camp as well. When he first announced his veto of SB1, he said it limits the state's ability to rely upon the best available science. In a recent blog post, Moyle writes that flowing waters are beautifully complex, and it would be rather naive to think that a simple hydrologic model would suffice to determine flow needs. He calls it wrong to ask how much water fish need. Instead, the more useful question would be about the optimal flow regime for fish to thrive while providing water for people. He urges periodic assessments along with alternative flow models. It is hard to overemphasize the need for improved and innovative assessment of environmental flows in California streams, he adds, referring to the 1,400 large dams across the state. 
as water disputes increase with climate change, improved understanding of the flow assessment options available should make setting such disputes in an amicable fashion more likely, he writes. Finish line for USMCA moves closer. Congress is in recess for the next couple of weeks, but ratification of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement should be almost within reach, or at least a lot closer when lawmakers return to D.C., according to House Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal. Neal leads the select group of House Democrats working to settle differences over USMCA with the Trump administration. Said on Friday, his staff and the U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer will be working through the recess on the latest proposal for a ratification deal. Neal said he expects a lot to get done as the two sides narrow the difference between them. It will be in October when the talks intensify and the goal line comes into view, he said. Another member of the House Democratic Working Group used a different sports analogy. I would say we're in the sixth inning and we have a few more innings to play. That represented Jimmy Gomez, a California Democrat. Keep in mind, it's almost October, so what's more appropriate than combining football and baseball analogies? DMC 2020 enrollment could fall. Despite the promise of a guaranteed payout, enrollment in the new dairy margin coverage isn't going to be all that much higher than the old margin protection program. DMC sign-up could very well fall next year. The 2019 sign-up for the program ended Friday, and final numbers haven't been released yet. But Bill Northey, USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation Programs, tells AgriPulse that as of last Wednesday, enrollment was about 1,000 over the 21,300 producers who signed up for MPP last year. That would mean about 60% of the 37,468 licensed dairy farms nationwide enrolled in DMC. The 2020 enrollment period will open in a week, and the big question is whether sign-up will drop. About half the producers who signed up for DMC only enroll for 2019, rather than for the full five years. University of Wisconsin economist Mark Stevenson says some of those farmers will likely opt out of the program if forecasts continue to show improvement in milk markets next year. MFP payout? Five billion so far. Northey says 400,000 farmers have applied so far for the first round of the 2019 market facilitation program payments. So far, this round of payments has totaled five billion. About 600,000 farmers signed up for the 2018 version of MFP, which benefited fewer crops. Northey says a decision on making a second tranche of MFP payments won't be made until closer to November. We're all hopeful we'll be in the place where we'll have a better trading environment, he said, referring to the ongoing U.S.-China trade war. Trade deal now up to Japan's legislature. The U.S.-Japan trade deal signed by President Donald Trump and Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe last week has one more hurdle before implementation. The Japanese diet, the country's bicameral legislature. The U.S. Congress will not have to ratify the pact as cuts Japanese tariffs on U.S. pork, beef, and other commodities. U.S. officials have expressed confidence that the diet will ratify it quickly, but U.S. farm groups won't rest easy until that happens. What I've been telling my producers to watch is the diet and see when they're going to be voting, according to Maria Ziba, the Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Anything can happen as we have all been seeing in the past few years.
U.S.-China trade talks, calm before the storm. This week will be full of festivities as China celebrates the 70th anniversary of the founding of modern China tomorrow. But preparations are being made on both sides of the Pacific for what could be a watershed meeting with U.S. trade negotiators. Any success of the talks will likely hinge on whether China remains steadfast in its alleged backtracking on pledges that U.S. officials said brought the two countries very close to an overall deal back in May. Xinhua News, the state-controlled media outlet, published a report yesterday confirming Vice Premier Liu He would lead the Chinese negotiating team to Washington. And finally, here's today's She Said It. The paper is going back and forth. All of it is very positive, very constructive. That Connecticut Representative Rosa Delaro, a member of the House Democrats USMCA working group, describing the state of negotiations with U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer. Well, that's Daybreak West for this Monday, September 30th, brought to you by FMC. For the latest news out of Washington, D.C., visit AgriPulse.com. For AgriPulse Daybreak West, I'm Jeff Daly.